This is the London FinTech Podcast, brought to you by your host, Mike Ballaman, bridging the worlds of suits and t-shirts, of finance and technology, bringing you insights, stories, and inspiration from the golden age of opportunity and innovation happening in London right now. Hi, this is Mike Ballaman, and this is the London FinTech Podcast, episode 203 brought to you in association with SMART and the enlistedboard.com. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Eric Benaholt, CEO and founder of NetTurgle, to talk about fintech in Scandinavia. NetTurgle offer a range of digital lending platforms for fintechs, and we will hear more about them later in the show. Eric is an excellent person to give us a tour d'horizon, having been part of building the world's first online-only mortgage bank as long ago as the 1990s. As to the main topic of the show, fintech in Scandinavia, well, that's about fintech in Scandinavia. I think that's clear, so plenty to talk about. And with no further ado, let's get on with the show. Good morning, Eric. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Great to be here. So it is late May here. I'm never quite sure when the summer begins. It uh, has been a bit strange recently, not for reasons of scandemics and climate change and all that kind of stuff but we've had quite a long time where August has been very wet actually and I was saying to Bridget my partner only yesterday well gosh it's gosh it's June next week and you know how rubbish August is going to be in September over here that never really really counts so if we're not careful we've only got two months of summer left but in terms of summer in Sweden when do you have Sweden in summer and we were talking a little bit before and I think it may interest the listeners about the traditional thing that uh, Swedes do in summer or if they're fortunate they do in summer yeah i mean the, the summer when it's existing here in sweden it's between may and august i would say currently it's about 20 22 degrees and sunny so we we shouldn't complain and what i like to do in in the summer is like like most sweets like you mentioned we like to go out to the summer house and and i am fortunate enough to have one out in the archipelago i absolutely love being there just came back and when you say the archipelago, in terms of you approach the water in Stockholm, how long does it take you from sort of setting both feet off the land to actually landing on your particular island or your bit of your island? It takes an hour and a half, so it's really convenient. And people have small boats, do they? Yeah. In a dinghy or, or sailing boat? or? Yeah, I, I have a small motorboat, nothing fancy, but it, it gets the job done. Ah, I see. Well, that connects a couple of things. I was mentioning before that, actually, funny enough, this is a fintechy thing, actually. In the very early days of the London Fintech podcast, like 2014 or something, they wanted some sort of brainstorming session somewhere and you've got an Amazon book token and I was just going to everything just to meet people in the community. And you've got this book token and then for some random reason, because I don't like crimey stuff at all, but Bridget doesn't, and actually most of the girls I've ever met sort of like reading um, crime stuff. I bought with a book token a video series called Crimes of Passion, which is based on the novel, crime novels of Maria Lang, who was a Swedish writer, I think, in the 50s. Quite ahead of her time, actually, and very trendy these days, because she was writing about sort of alphabet people, as they're called, before that was um, kind of thing. But one thing about it, if anyone wants to look it up on Amazon or something, is it's amazingly beautifully shot. I mean, it looks fantastic, sort of, I mean, what, what, what do I know? But I mean, clearly they've put effort into it. Fantastically sort of Swedish in the 50s in terms of the fashion. And one of the episodes there is on an island. And 
Yes, it's absolutely stunning. Well, it was stunning in the 19, 1950s, perhaps a little bit more backwards in technology. I guess these days you go there and you've got satellite dishes and, and laptops and, and you work 24-7 because you're a founder. I, I actually go there to, to get away from, from, the, from the big city and all the technology. So, so no, it's, it's kind of backwards. It's, a, it's an old cottage from the 1900s. Uh, it's really, really quite old-fashioned. Ah, that sounds fantastic. Well, the other, the other point of contact is in terms of boats. Uh, escape porn that we've been sort of watching due to the pressures of the last two years has, has definitely gone up, uh, gone up market these days. I mean, there's a very good chap called Kyle's Cabin I recommend on YouTube. Phenomenal guy, now in northern Minnesota, used to be in Alaska. And he basically owns a chainsaw and he cuts down a sort of few trees and just builds fantastic log cabins, actually. Wow. Uh, but uh, in Minnesota, going back to May weather, it was still snow for most of May. So that doesn't sound so appealing to me. I don't like being uh, cold myself. But more recently, we've got into channels such as Gone With The Winds and Sailing La Vagabond. So we're now well into, in terms of escape porn, watching people go around the world on, um, uh, on catamarans, on 40 plus foot catamarans, which sounds fantastic, actually. And uh, the interesting thing there, going back to technology creep, is that two people can easily, he quotes easily. I mean, the, the Sailing Low Vagabond people, two Aussies, have actually got two babies on board. One's a baby and one's a toddler, and they go across the Atlantic and Pacific and, and all this kind of stuff. But there's a huge drive there to put more and more technology in. And so obviously solar panels on the boats, which is very nice because, you know, you need water makers and you need radars and you need GPSs and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then more recently, the big trend in um, catamarans and that is to have electric motors. But I have to say... I'd be very scared on going all electric and being in the middle of the Atlantic and being sort of struck by lightning. And I was talking to Bridget the other day, who's got a sort of day skipper qualification, and saying that actually if I went across the Atlantic, I'd probably take a sextant to, <laughs> just on the safe side. And before we started the recording, you, you, you experienced my paranoia because having used tech all the time, it always goes wrong. But uh, presumably, if you've got a, a little boat, you don't have more technology other than a diesel engine, which is sort of tried and trusted by now. Yeah, no, but definitely we only have a diesel engine. But I really think it's... It's nice to have technology that is proven and that works, which is kind of an odd statement for me, trying to build like the very latest in technology. So, so I, can, I, can see, I can see the value of both things. I mean, you have to have technology that, that is functioning and, and robust and reliable, but, but you also need to push the envelope forward at all times. But maybe I wouldn't want to be on a sailboat in the middle of the ocean on the, on the latest technology. That's, that's for sure. Yes, and um, back in the day when I started, ooh, 1983, in a software firm, they got into software engineering and provable systems, and they did, ended up doing stuff for railway signal design and all that kind of thing, where clearly you've got to test it quite a lot, otherwise two trains crash, which is a bit unfortunate. And obviously all the, the technology in aeroplanes as well. I mean, these days the sort of pilots, oversimplifying, of course, they log on and then sort of type in Bangkok and the, the plane flies to Bangkok. But in terms of the... The stuff that works these days and makes transoceanic sailing possible, literally just for two people, is that the technology is fantastic. So the autopilot systems you get for these yachts are brilliant. So it's no longer just a question of like aim for New York and it finds a straight line. No, it works out, you know, the response of the boats and all these parameters and you can plot a course. You know, I read an article this this morning trying to wake up someone saying, oh, yes, they've got a system on their uh, iPad. You know, they can sort of sit inside the autopilot sailing the yacht and they, they can sort of get their finger and just drag and drop the, the route. It's, it's quite amazing. Anyway, with all that amount of technology and as you spend your life immersed in technology, then getting away from it is very good for us all. So what was your career journey, Eric, from not using any technology when you were young to being part of the first neobank and, and, and now where you are today? 
Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I started in this business. It wasn't even called fintech back then, but it was back in 99. So the internet was, was young and, and I worked building up the very first online-only mortgage bank in the world. And that was a great time for me and, and for everyone involved in all the learning that we got because nothing existed. You know, internet sort of existed, but it was very young. And if, if you look today... You build software on, on existing modules, on existing libraries, and, and you take those, those frameworks and components and, and you build on them. But by then, by 99, nothing of that did exist. If we needed a translation framework, for instance, and we did, to expand our, our bank to more countries, then we had to build the, the translation framework ourselves. And, and we had to build everything ourselves, from search engines, Google didn't exist. So Alta Vista, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Alta Vista. And, and you, couldn't, you couldn't sort of build on Alta Vista. They didn't have, like, the cloud didn't exist. They didn't have APIs, nothing like that. So building everything was, of course, a, a great school for, for me and other people working in that time. It taught us a lot about how to, how to actually build a bank. Maybe we were the first person building a new bank for, for a considerable time. But for me, the thing that, that always stuck in my mind was what it made to us as people, because it fostered this kind of arrogance with us. You know, uh, the feeling that internet, yeah, I, I can build a new one, which is an interesting attitude that, that all in my generation that was part of this journey have, and me more than most, I would say, there are problems with this attitude. It can cause some really stupid, you know, the not invented here mentality. I've definitely been a part of that. We want to build everything ourselves because we can and we know how it works. And it's bound to be better if we do it. Exactly. What does anybody else know? <laughs> no, because the other people, they're, they're stupid and we build great things. That's, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been very guilty of that attitude. So that's, that's sort of the, the dark side of it. But it has also led up to, I think this is in a sense, what, what has created the fintech boom, this kind of attitude. We have the courage, the confidence to go up and challenge the largest banks in the world saying that, yeah, you know that thing that you're doing, we can do it better. Yes, it's very interesting, actually, because talking about selling around the world, I mean, when I was a lad, it was the first time that single-handedly people went around the world on their own, and it was extremely dangerous. And you had to be a complete nutter with utter faith in your abilities and that kind of stuff. And then decades later, you know, it's perfectly feasible for Bridget and I to go, oh, God, we're fed up of all this sort of day job lark, go off and buy a boat and sail it around the world, which is astonishing. Now, of course, it's a bit trickier that you need to gain experience along the way as you did. So it's very interesting that whether it's sailing around the world or climbing Everest, where loads of people go up every year these days, the sort of psychology of the pioneers is, as you say, I mean, I think the first sailors to go around the world just on small yachts like Che Blythe or something would have had the same mentality in, in a different um, different space. I mean, one of the problems with being a pioneer, of course, and being ahead of your time, from a technology perspective, it takes you quite a long time to build sort of, I don't know, an English an English dictionary on your system at, or to build your own server and to do all these kind, kind of things. I mean, I remember the computer magazines of the 70s about build your own PC, because well, what we call a PC, because there exactly. weren't any, so you had to build them your, yourself. So the first thing is it takes a hell of a, a long time. The second thing of being ahead of the trend and ahead of the world is, that, as you say, there's this attitude, oh, what does anybody else know? But unfortunately, that also can apply to the customers. So if you're the first person, you say, oh, we've got this thing called an online mortgage bank. People say, hang on, what's online and 
uh, why should I trust you and, and this kind of thing. And there's the saying, I think, from America, is that the person who builds a shopping mall goes bust and the person who buys it off it makes a success out of it. So what was the commercial side of it like? What was it like being the first? I mean, everyone says, oh, I want to be the first. But people, people who have been the first before, generally after that, sort of a little bit more wary. No, but you're right. And I'm just, I'm, I'm smiling here because the not believing in a, in an online mortgage bank was a was a very real feeling back then i mean i remember my mom questioning why i started working there can't you get a proper job eric yeah that was absolute nonsense <laughs> to her and and she was a programmer so she understood computers she just didn't think that banks had anything to do on the internet yeah yeah but as you say being first i mean that bank that we we started then it it went bankrupt so so yeah there is such a thing as being too far ahead of the times definitely so and this is what we are trying to do now we are trying to take all the technology skills that we have we put them into a system so that people can come in now and get you know tried and tested but very forward-leaning technology and, and launch their own bank so if if you're listening to this and you want to start your own bank it's much easier today than it was back in the 1990s Yes, and again, just with a parallel with sailing around the world, I mean, the, the, the catamaran market is a very interesting one. Catamarans are actually invented in uh, twin hull uh, sailing vessels, for those people who don't know. Were invented in the, in the, I think, late 19th century, and one was uh, entered into a, a New York yacht race somewhere in the early 20th century, just over, over a century ago now. Um, and it won a whole bunch of technical things I won't go into. They're faster. But it got disqualified because it's oh, that's not a proper boat. <laughs> it's, it's got two hulls. That's not a real boat. And actually, then it went backwards and nothing happened for decades and decades and decades. So the first kind of commercially available catamarans really only started in the 1990s. A century later, a century went by. And obviously, if you bought the first one, good luck. Good luck selling that around the world. <laughs> Let us know how you get on. You know, take a pair of armbands in case your boat sinks in the middle of, middle of the ocean. But even these days, actually, if you want to buy a boat and go around the world and you buy one of the ones that's designed for that use case, you still have to customise it yourself. You know, there's still things like, oh, well, actually, you really could do with a radar. Uh, and actually, they don't come with a, a life raft. And no, your dinghy isn't a life raft. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of parameters you need to add on top. So in terms of making the whole journey easier, which is what you're doing at Nuckturgle and going back to how much easier it is to start a fintech now than it was when you were doing the online brokering, it's simply because you can buy in some really good stuff, which maybe a listener could do a better version of what you've done. Maybe they could. Let's say one person out there can, but it's going to take them a hell of a long time. It's going to take an infinite amount of man, man years and an infinite amount of resource. And by the time they've done it in five years' time or whatever, the market's, market's moved on. So fintechs, and I've seen this just over the last decade. A decade ago, people were still getting their own servers in the corner kind of stuff. And then you, know, then you use a cloud and, and now you, you're buying the components. So much more is uh, uh, achievable. So we'll pick up Nat Turgle's story later in the show. But in terms of your journey, did you literally then just sort of leave online mortgage brokering, banking thing? and say, oh, I know, I'm going to form Nacturgle. No, after that, I've been working in the finance industry at, at a number of different banks and financial institutions, essentially doing the same thing. So building this kind of system that, that I built once for, for this first mortgage bank. Then we built it again and again and again at, at different different banks up here in the Nordics. So I've been, I've been doing this like, uh, I think it's five times now. And then we started to, we, we had this shift back in 2004, 5, somewhere, where there was a lot more regulation coming in. 
So the bank that I was working for, we, we had this feeling that we're not doing any product development anymore. We're just adapting to this new regulation. That's all we're doing. And I was the CTO back then. And I talked to my fellow CTOs at other banks. And they were saying the same thing, that our board, our investors are screaming for, for product development, something new. Consumers are expecting later, more modern technology. And we're doing nothing. We're just adapting to GDPR, PSD2, whatnot. And this made me feel like this was this was the the background idea in in a sense for for Nectagal because we thought that no single bank in in Scandinavia is is big enough to handle this challenge by themselves so we we should pool resources together and and build one system that that several people can can use and then each bank can focus on the product development but they don't have to worry about all this regulation that is coming in. I mean, it's hugely important for, for the market and we, we love it to bits, but it's not what a typical bank IT department wants to work with. Yes, the whole bureaucratization of everything is a subject I've touched on many times in the, the podcast. I, I regard it as part of the, the fall of uh, uh, civilization, but that's another story entirely. And Lord Turner was on the show, the last head of the FSA um, a few years ago, and um, he was also part of the creation of Basel III. His comment about banking is that we don't have regulation, we have micro-supervision. However, it is what it is, and uh, if you're in fintech or in banking and you don't uh, fancy following the regulations, well, you can have a career in a chain gang breaking rocks in the hot sun, so and maybe it is uh, uh, simpler. Now, coming on, expanding on, uh, for the moment, on a, on a tangent to, you know, you'd started in the, in the 90s in Sweden building the, the first online mortgage bank, which many people may not have known, originated in Sweden. We had a, an episode a, a couple of months ago on fintech in East Europe, uh, an overview of the area, and uh, I was then told that uh, some people consider East Europe to include uh, Finland, which was, I thought, was a bit of a sort of territorial grab. And this was before territorial grabs caught on in, the, in that part of the world. Now, when I was at school, I did do geography. I didn't like it very much. But I, and I think I could have answered the question of what is Scandinavia. But just for the avoidance of, avoidance of doubt, what is Scandinavia? Which countries are in it? Is Iceland in it? Is, uh, and maybe you should say, suggest that Poland is in it to you know, go for the reverse grab. <laughs> Now, Scandinavia, when you talk about it, you, you usually mean Sweden, Norway and Denmark. But some people, when they say Scandinavia, they mean the peninsula. So only, only Sweden and Norway, because Denmark is not part of our peninsula. And what about Finland then? Yeah, Finland, Finland and Iceland, we are very closely connected to, but we call it the Nordics. So the Nordics oh. is, is all five, and, and Scandinavia is just the Scandinavian peninsula. But Denmark is usually sort of included in that, in that concept for historic reasons. And yeah, Poland was never a part of neither Scandinavia nor the Nordics. Yes, 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 and, and I've forgotten. Um, I've forgotten my history of uh, uh, who ruled who when. I mean, the Swedish Empire was pretty big, so I assume that sort of a lot of a lot of what is deemed Scandinavia was some version of a, a Greater Sweden back in the day. Yeah, but it's been part of Greater Denmark and Greater Norway as well, so it's it's a bit complex. Yeah, but there's combined history, which leads to some sort of similar mentalities. And of course, Iceland, until off the top of my head, 1954 was a, a colony of. Um, uh, Denmark as well. So there's the connection there. Okay, so anyway, so we're looking at the core countries of Norway, Sweden and Denmark. So in terms of maybe technology as a whole, and you can call it in the Nordics if you like, you can lob in Nokia in, in Finland. I'm only vaguely aware myself, but I associate the area with quite a lot of leadership in technology one way or another from then right up to this day in fintech. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the history of, of, uh, of the Nordics, some 200 years ago, this area of the world was very poor. 
we struggled to, to make ends meet and have food on the table. So people migrated to the US and, and, and things, were, things were bleak in the Nordics. And back then, all of, this, all of the Nordic countries, they had this forward vision about, about technology being a main driver of, of society. And they decided, all, all of them, not together, but, but uh, each and every nation made the decision to become engineering nations. So it was a very like meditated and elaborate choice by, by the governments at that time to become engineering nations and to build up engineering high schools like KTH in Stockholm where I went, Chalmers in Gothenburg, lots of lots of engineering high schools across the across the nation and make sure that society was actively helping in the formation of, of industry and technology. So that has been like the legacy that we, we have. And, and this has, of course, worked out really well for us, as you know. I mean, today, the Nordics are, are some of the richest countries in the world, some of the best places to live. And, and the, the companies that come out from here, I mean, you don't, I don't know which ones you're familiar with, but Volvo, Nokia, Spotify, Skype... We're producing them at quite a high rate. If you look at the Stockholm region, we have we have the second highest unicorn per capita ratio, second only to Silicon Valley. So it's really a good place to, to build technology companies. I see. And just going back to sort of my O-level geography, I think that's coming to my mind because I did the least revision because I disliked it most. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think the anxiety is still inside me. Oh my God, it's my geography O-level today. I noticed you there sort of slipped in um, Skype, which of course is Estonia, which I would traditionally regard as the Baltic. So I'm not being precise here. We're, we're morphing between Scandinavia, the Nordics. And then to, to mm. what extent do you guys consider sort of the Baltics as part of the same mentality, shall we say, almost a not continental European mentality? To my mind, the Skype was founded by Niklas Sundström here in Stockholm. So, so oh, I, I didn't see. actually oh, make that connection. This is an interesting story. Because oh, Estonia loves taking the credit for it. Yeah, but we are very closely. I mean, the Baltics are, are very close to us. But also, since they belong to, to Soviet Russia for so long, we're we not working as closely together with the Baltics as we do to, say, Finland. When it comes to fintech. I mean, when it comes to fintech, Stockholm is really the capital of Scandinavia. When it comes to... Other things, it's a bit complex, but but these nations are all collaborating quite well, I would say. And presumably going back to the history, I I hadn't appreciated that the the transition was in this sort of engineering mentality. And that, of course, that's fed through from, as it were, mechanical engineering into sort of virtual engineering in software. And presumably going back to the the poverty back in the day, um, that was a combination of, depending on the country, geography and, and latitude in that uh, Norway doesn't have that much flatland as a whole. It's got sort of some sort of up and down bits and sort of some fjords and all, all that kind of thing. Um, and uh, certainly go to the north of any of those countries, it's a bit on the chilly side quite often. And therefore, it, it was very hard for sort of, it's almost kind of that it became the limit case. I mean, we, we watched some videos actually, well, YouTube's on, is it the Sami or whatever, who are the sort of the reindeer herder at uh, the north of the... The, the whole area. I mean, it's literally a sort of uh, subsistence uh, existence, a bit like si- Siberia. So is it the question that it was a sort of geography uh, and climate which made it tricky? Because I mean, obviously Sweden, when it did have its empire, and Stockholm, which is quite far south comparatively, did have the prosperities at, at various points, or at least the, the monarchs did. I think you're touching on something here. And, and I mean, this can all be debated. But my, my point of view is that I mean, what, what you're getting here is that to, to understand something like the, the tech uh, miracle up in, in the Nordics right now, 
in order to understand something, you need to understand the, the setting in which that something occurs and, and evolves. And in Scandinavia, these, these challenges that you talk about, they have formed us quite a lot, I would say. I, I mean, I could talk about this for much longer than we have time now. I mean, the first, the first thing obvious that we have is that it's, it's, it's bloody cold up here. So that means that when we build a house here in, in Sweden, we, we don't cut corners. We build it strong and we build it warm and we, we care a lot for quality. And secondly, I mean, we have a remarkably low population density. So that means that we need to build things to handle distribution. We have people living far out into the wilderness. And incidentally, you know, the, the big companies that we have, they all solve this problem in one way or another. A Volvo lets you travel distances. A Nokia lets you talk over distance. Spotify means that you can become a big artist without traveling to all these little villages across Sweden. So there is this solving the distribution thing is, is something that we need to solve always. Yes, and in the same way, in terms of distribution, I think Sears in, in North America was fundamental to the growth of, quotes, capitalism, or let's call it business. Because again, North America, in terms of the European people, became incredibly spread out and there were huge distances and, you know, moving logistics. And uh, again, it, it's actually probably an interesting podcast in itself. But in the UK, why is the UK, well, why is traditionally, before globalism struck and there was a degree of trying to homogenise everywhere till it becomes the same part of the neoliberalism kind of thing where everyone's just homo economicus but one of the base things i think which is really important over here which isn't isn't understood is that the common law is completely antithetical attitude from continental law in that continental law says you can do this you can do this and you can do this common law comes the opposite way look you can do anything you like but don't do the things we say we don't do so innovation whether it's the industrial revolution over here whether it's pop music in the 60s whether it's all the fintechs Mm -hmm. came about because there was not an intrusive state and people just had mentality of yeah i'll I'll do that why not or the punk music oh yeah i'll just just play the music badly it'd probably be quite fun uh, as well and that's one of the concerns about the bureaucratization because the bureaucratization is a central state coming out with more and more rules which i concerned about london okay so anyway that's really interesting about the background i would like to add one thing here and that is i mean this is all forming how we do technology in sweden but but the reason that, that we are here on the london fintech pod right now the reason that anybody cares about the nordics is that we expand I think that's the, that's the key thing. And the reason behind this is that Scandinavia is a tiny market. So every Scandinavian company knows that in order to grow big, we need to expand outside Scandinavia. So there is that, you have that in your DNA. You need to grow, you need to become international. But the really good thing that we have found with a small market is that you can test, because engineers love testing, you know. So we can test hypotheses at really high speed and really low cost. And then when it works here, we can take it everywhere. That's pretty much, I would say, one of the key drivers behind our success in the global economy. It's interesting, and that's, uh, again, that's something I hadn't thought about enough because one of the problems, and I certainly saw that in 2015 to 2018, in London fintech, is that London is a much, UK is a much bigger marketplace. So you don't have that pressure to expand. So plenty of people say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, of course we need to expand, but we'll do that next year or maybe the year after that or maybe the year after that because there's still we've still got 0.001% of the UK market and if we can't even get our own market, how else can we go elsewhere? And, and um, equally in America, America's got an imperial attitude 
800 military bases worldwide, etc. And their attitude is to sell Coca-Cola around the world. So they've got the expansion. And also in the, in the UK's case, we were sort of part of EU, although it's very not that many expansions into European countries because of different sort of regulations there. So, yes, the mentality, this is really interesting that's come out, is the mentality and where the mentality comes from is fundamental. It's a bit like motivation, really, you know, in a, in a world where everyone thinks they're just made of atoms and stuff. It's very easy to, to have a, a reductive perspective. But if you're motivated to do something, whether it's to go sailing around the world, whether it's to climb Everest, whether it's to build a banking system, goodness knows where motivation comes from. Goodness knows where creativity comes from. I mean, I think the ancient Greeks with you know, their ideas of uh, creativity, the muse tapping you on the shoulder and Prometheus giving man fire um, are as good as anything uh, else. Without these motivations, without these drives, and without having some even basic understanding of them, it's very hard to account for, for the sake of argument, why Scandinavia is so good in, in tech and in fintech, whereas for the sake of argument, the Iberian Peninsula, Spain and Portugal aren't, or Greece and Turkey aren't. That having been said, is a really interesting background. What's the sort of topology today? I mean, who are the sort of the big players in fintech in Scandinavia or the Nordics as a whole that uh, listeners um, who are all around the world and uh, ought to know about? What's the sort of top three, six, ten or whatever number you can think of the top of your head? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, you need to understand that everything is built on the, on the shoulders of giants. So, so we have the big banks in Sweden. Obviously. So Nordea, Danske Bank, DMB, Swedbank, Handelsbanken, SCB, of course. A number of large, fairly local banks. They're not big outside the Nordics. And we, of course, have the, the, the standard international actors here as, as well. So we have Visa and MasterCard and, and PayPal's. That's how we do payment transactions up here. But building on that, I think that the, the big ones that are, are well known from here are obviously... Tink and Klarna, iSettle, Lunar, of course, the Danish neobank is, is quite interesting. And, and then we have, I would say, Swish in Sweden and Vips, the same thing in Norway, allowing for interbank transactions very easily. Those are, I would say, the big ones. And if you think about them, there's not one common theme here. I mean, Tink is, Tink is pretty much helping people having a look at, at open banking data, which is obviously a very new thing and, and, and very, very interesting for, for many actors out there. Klarna is a BMPL actor. So they've just sprung out of, there is not one single theme unifying the, the Nordic fintechs. I would say that what we have here is that we have an ecosystem of lots of fintechs experimenting and trying and, and then we have some sort of natural selection and, and some, some expand. Interesting. And just hearing you there and uh, thinking of various listeners, as I say, around the world, I think, you know, in the world of globalisation, uh, if not globalism, these days you hear of a tech company and nobody particularly wonders where it comes from. You know, so, so you, you've heard, oh, are you, are you so-and-so? And it's just a piece of tech. And so, yes, the, the, the origins can be forgotten and, and can become irrelevant. Um, and going back to Skype as an example, actually nobody used Skype anymore. That got uh, overtaken. But I, I assume Zoom is an American company, but maybe it was invented somewhere else. I mean, who knows? Maybe a company over there bought it. So what do you see then, just sort of very briefly, and I think I've got a very good feel of the background, and, and I think one of the things that listening to you talk about the last 200 years and the mentality uh, and 
the small markets and them experimenting and the need to expand. It really gives me a feeling of trajectory into the future. Where do you, and it's a silly question because how, how does anybody know what the future is these days, but where do you see the next few years of fintech in Scandinavia's National Nordics developing? Is it sort of more of the same? I see two broad trends at the moment one one is that i see this building on the on the shoulders of giants like like we talked about earlier that now you have technology such as the nectigal technology where you can launch your own bank in a very short amount of time where you can add technology to to the bank that you have in a very short amount of time so it becomes in an ever increasing speed, you can you can evolve your products, or or you can launch a new competitor into into the bank sector. So that is that is a trend that has been going on since since I started, and I see nothing slowing it down. If if anything, it goes at an ever increasing speed. I would say. So that is the good news. The bad news. I mean, everyone knows this. This is not me being the oracle, but but winter is coming. We all know that we're moving into a, a darker and, and worse economy than we've had for the past 10, 20 years. And that means for many people that are in fintech now, they've never experienced the winter before. They've only lived like they're, they're the nights of summer. And, and this is, uh, is going to be very interesting because everyone will become more cautious. So consumers, families, entrepreneurs, VCs, everyone will start to look at their house and see how can we protect this and assess your situation, minimize costs, minimize risks. And of course, at the same time, many people will, will see opportunities in, in this because a crisis is an opportunity if, if you have a lot of courage or a lot of money. So people will sort of think about how can we contribute in this kind of poor economy? How can we make money from it? And this is new thinking. And, and we haven't had that kind of thinking in, in society for quite a while. So I have no ideas what will occur, but I know that this will generate some ideas that no one would have thought about five years ago. Yes, it's interesting hearing you talk of those matters. I mean, we've touched on the, in the podcast on the future of the dollar and um, obviously in tangentially CBDCs and all these kind of things, which may change the nature of uh, finance itself. So my mentality has been more focused on the sort of the extreme kind of black swan. And, you know, that in five years time, if I fast forward myself, oh, God, oh, we've got new sterling. You know, the old one's gone now, you know, and oh, I can't I can't I can't go and buy any breakfast because I, I tweeted the wrong one yesterday. And these kind of sci fi dystopia. But uh, as you say, what is more likely to happen in the in the immediate future is, as you say, which is that the economic circumstances are uh, of a nature we haven't seen for some time and of course that has reproductions in all sectors so uh, before we wrap up the show i'd like to thank all you listeners out there and my brand partner for the podcast smart is transforming pensions and retirement worldwide the leading edge retirement tech platform propelled them to success in the uk now they're operating on four continents and working with partners like zurich and jp morgan find out more at www.smart.co I wish the people that invented the internet didn't have www. <laughs> yeah, what were they thinking? Theenlistedboard.com, your guide to entrepreneurial governance and how you can start making your board an engine of growth today. So, Eric, you've given us a wonderful feel for the trajectory 
of technology as a whole in Scandinavia, mechanical and, uh, and electronic as it were, and fintech's part within that. But in doing so, you uh, haven't touched too much on Nectargle, which is obviously uh, the business you founded and you're the CEO of, and it's very, very close to your heart. So it would be very remiss if you didn't take this opportunity to explain to the listeners a little bit more clearly what it is you sell to who and which of the listeners out there that, due to some error in their upbringing, hasn't heard of you should, uh, depending on their job, um, be checking you out fairly soon. And um, just for those people who aren't sort of fluent in Swedish, uh, Nektergal is spelt N-A-K-T-E-R-G-A-L, if you want to look him up on the internet. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Yeah, so if if you don't know about Nektergal, what we we do is that we we provide an end-to-end system for lending. So if you want to start a new bank or you have an existing bank, but you want to replace your old legacy technology, you can come to us and, and we can help you. And by end-to-end system, we mean everything from onboarding new customers, handling the credit checks, the KYCs, all, all the legislation around that, but also making sure that, that you get your money back. So, so handling notifications, reporting, and, and everything. So it's an end-to-end system for, for lending. We've been up and running for five years now. We're up and running in Sweden and in Finland. So in the Nordics, as we say. And uh, one, one of our favorite things to talk about was when we launched mortgages in, in Finland with Blue Step Bank, They're the largest specialty mortgage lender in the Nordics. And the entire project took us 142 days. Wow. This is in our business super fast. So this is something that usually takes years. So we can be fast and we provide some cutting edge technology to help your mortgages be much more future friendly. But now, what people don't know about us, because people in our business tend to know that we're dealing with these end-to-end systems, but what people usually don't know is that we have recently moved into providing modules, as we call them. So they're they're small services that uh, an existing bank can use to plug into their existing tech stack and cherry-pick the weaknesses they want to solve. So what we're saying here is, don't replace your legacy system, address its weakness. Because replacing a legacy system is a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. And the bigger the bank is, the, the worse the problem gets. So final words, I would say at Nectegal, we're working very hard to continuously improve the, the technology that we have and that we can provide to the market, building the financial technology for, for tomorrow. So if you're a bank or lender and you want to have access to future technology, well, reach out to me. Okay, and in terms of tomorrow, uh, as you said before, uh, I'm glad you're not in nuclear power because this, uh, this metaphor wouldn't work at all. But uh, we, 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 test, we test to see whether our solutions work locally. <laughs> and if they do, we expand. Because, of course, if you're in nuclear power, you'd end up sort of blowing up places if it didn't particularly work. Where are you guys in terms of your global expansion? Um, is that something you're about to undertake and uh, turn up in Asia and South America? Or is this something that's sort of on the next few years horizon? Now we're quite focused on Europe, so so we are in discussions about expanding to to Germany, and and we might expand to I mean Norway and Denmark is always simple for us, but in in general we have built these kind of systems for for most countries in Europe in in the past. So if there is the market need for for this kind of technology in in say UK, and there is an actor who is willing to to test something really new, we we can definitely be a speaking partner. Excellent. Well, when I joined Clamor Benson way back in 1985 from a software company, I kept extremely quiet about knowing anything about technology because in those days the technology was entirely rubbish across the bank in roughly everything. And it was something I didn't want to to get sucked into. But uh, 
uh, once or twice they got near and then certainly my independent incarnation the last 24 years or whatever uh, I've got a bit more involved in it now and then once or twice so I do have a long arc of understanding as well of gut feel for those listeners who are more sort of businessy people rather than tech people is that what you're talking about is absolutely phenomenal in terms of you know, installing a system in whatever it was uh, less than half a year uh, is, is absolutely amazing. Um, and equally, uh, in terms of mega banks, which may, may have, I don't know, SunGuard or something, systems in, it doesn't matter which manufacturer you choose, there will be some weak points. Um, and that's very challenging. Um, and the fact that you've got something that you can sort of strap onto the side is a great help. So uh, that's been a really uh, uh, fascinating conversation, Eric, and exploration of the uh, understanding of the Scandinavian Nordics and, and why they really outperform per capita many, many, many parts of the parts of the world, uh, which have got far greater populations. And I wish you, Scandinavia slash the Nordics and Nack Turgel, every success in the future. Thank you very much, Mike. I love being here. Thanks for listening. If you are in need of a non-executive or advisory director with deep expertise, experience and contacts in the worlds of both traditional FS and fintech, or unique insight into how to make your board an engine of growth today, contact me at mike at mikeballiman.com. If you just need one-off advice in these areas via clarity.fm slash mikeballiman. We could sit in a bender all day Watching the firelight dance Watching the firelight dance We could walk in the mountains before dawn Watching a happy moon ride Watching a happy moon ride To come away from the city But with the tarmac so dead And the people so sad Come away from the city But with the faces so great With the pain of the Mountains and the trees Can you see what I mean? Can you see what I mean? We fit in between the earth and the sky Kiss the city goodbye Wave the city goodbye Wave the city goodbye City goodbye. Watch the firelight dance with me. 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 Watch the firelight.